Hey there, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, everyone, welcome back once again to the GGWP. That is, of course, the Geeks and Gaming Worldwide Podcast. My name is Pyrotechnics. I am joined on the show by my wonderful co hosts. It is, of course, Chase Wassenaar and Mad Magical. What is up, gents? A ceiling, mostly. <laughs> Well, you're at home, so that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm at my new setup too. It's nice. Ooh. Yeah, new new setup. We got these uh, these new mics too, which is really fancy. Uh, now that I've got that's all the big stuff. news, man. It's episode ten. It's a milestone, and Woo-hoo! with it, we have incredible news. We're officially sponsored by Blue Microphones. This is our first sponsorship. It's it's crazy. You hear you hear all about it in the coming weeks. Obviously, there'll be a tweet going out after this. But yeah, you know, cats out of the bag. Incredible stuff. I'm 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 loving these new, this new mic quality, and hopefully you you listening at home are enjoying the soothing sounds of all of our voices. Is the cat's name Blue? Maybe you said the cat it's is out of the bag, and so it's like, what cat is it? Blue. I'm just curious. Curious now. <laughs> I, I guess I don't know. I'm sure somewhere out there there's a cat named Blue. Probably. It's a very uncreative pet owner. <laughs> <laughs> just, I love it. All right. Uh, yeah. Cool. That's a great start. And yeah. But also, guys, it's a milestone. It's ten episodes in. Like we've been doing yeah, this yeah, ten yeah, yeah. Uh, for you know for ten apps. There's there's been like a little bit of off the rails here and there. We've had we had one week skipped and then come back the next and some major episodes. Magical got sick. He came back stronger than ever. Yeah. Uh, it's been great doing this with you all. So I guess I just want to take a moment to say thanks. Aww. I but, love doing it too. It's fun. Yeah, man, we gotta we gotta get the memes in. We gotta get our our, our rants in together. It's been a lovely time. So uh, it has, and you guys, the fans may not know this, but you guys are getting up mega early to record with me, uh, and we're gonna switch it around because you've you've put in the hard work. So we'll switch around the recording schedule, which means we push this out on uh, I think Wednesdays for everybody going forward. So if you're listening, you should be expecting that. Uh, not for this episode because it's already Thursday, but still. Uh, yeah, well, let's, let's dive in, shall we? Let's get down to business. Um, because MSI came and went, this is of course the start. We talk esports as always and Chase, I know you are not a happy camper. <laughs> oh man. I just, yeah, look, I won't even get to the finals yet. I, just, just I did team this, liquid beat IG. I did this whole rant man, and it was really good. I felt great about it. I, like listening back to the episode that week. It's like, oh yeah. Hit all those NA points home. I uh, so, you know, I, I feel like it's it's one of those things where, of course, uh, you know, I care about NA. And so I've been frustrated time and time again. And I feel like we do need to call out some of the talent development stuff. I, I feel like uh, it's, it's important to kind of have those perspectives on things. So I just, it was completely like a 0% chance in my mind that IG was going to lose that series. There's just no... Like, they they would IG it for sure, which was going to lead to some map losses they didn't need to take, but three games and five? No, no way. Like, the, with North America the way it is, with how good China's been, couldn't see it coming. And that made it hurt a lot worse, it turns out. Uh, I should have maintained my healthy skepticism that i have towards every other team that i love in my life sports esports or otherwise uh and i feel it it's it was really unfortunate i i think that ig you know they talked in the past about having quote-unquote happy games uh when they're not uh expecting as much from their opponent it does seem like early in the series they made some uh sloppy errors that 
uh, then kind of compounded. Uh, and then suddenly you have this position where you're down 2-0 to a North American team, uh, Aricha, that you were very much expected to beat when you were very much expected to win this tournament since you're the reigning world champions. And they just couldn't rally uh, back in time. And, and, of course, Team Liquid played some of the best league they've played ever. Like, that, that was them at their moment and they deserve a lot of credit for the strategies that they put into it, some adjustments that they made, uh, particularly from McSmithy, that were really smart. So it was one of those really weird situations where everyone I knew was on social media very happy about the Team Liquid upset, feeling this kind of optimism that uh, I, I've been wanting to tap into but haven't been able to feel myself because they finally won a big moment, and all I could think about that entire day was, oh, rookie, you guys, oh, so why, though? Like, that was... was divided, that. divided loyalties from Chase. Uh, no, not divided. Yeah. My loyalties with IG, 500%. But oh, okay. taking so a you step were, you were just, back You were just that, wanting to talk about TL, but you couldn't because of IG. Uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, it would have been fun. I wish that I could have been hype for TL. I was happy for them on the finals. I was rooting for TL in the finals because at least then IG's death would not be in vain. And it turns out well, we'll get to that. IG's death was in vain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk Spoilers, about that mate. So, um, yeah, Magical, what was your take on the Team Liquid upset over, so over Invictus? People were going, you know, on social media and stuff and saying how this wasn't an accomplishment of Team Liquid. This was a travesty and a disappointment out of IG. And I think there is a grain of truth in that, in that, like what Chase is saying, that IG are the current world champions. You're losing to North America, a region that has historically done bad internationally, has never really performed outside of Cloud9. So you're not looking at Team Liquid as being a team that's easily going to be coming in to take this. But I think that you need to give Team Liquid more credit. They played amazing that day. That was pro probably their best day the entire tournament. And that's with including them going 3-0 against Fungu Buffalo in the play-ins. I think that Team Liquid just looked really, really good. Impact especially. I think Xsmithy finally started to come online. And that's where you really started to see their strengths. Jensen, he did he did well. He, he was all right like in against IG holding his own against rookie which I think that is a big thing to kind of talk about is not it's rookie rookie is probably one of the best mid laners in the world right now so if you're trying to hold on against him you gotta at least be decent at the game so I think that team liquid have to get a little bit more praise from their achievements and I was one of those people who was definitely on social media who was saying there's no way team liquid wins even though I am an NA fanboy through and through, I've been disappointed way too many times by North America at international events to really go into it thinking, oh, they'll they'll definitely win. They'll definitely do something that won't make me cry at the end of the day. And they finally won. So it's like, this is just, this was a great thing from Team Liquid to be able to do. And regardless of the rest of the results coming in from MSI, people need to really look at that series and say, this isn't just North America being like, kind of mediocre anymore. They're finally starting to step up. They're finally starting to close the gap, uh, if you're going to go with the meme. And they're actually going to look well, because this, to date, is the biggest upset in a series that I think we've ever seen. And anyone can argue with me on that, because even if you include Albus Lo Nox Luna beating uh, 
rocks back in the day. That was a single game. This is a series win. This is huge. This isn't just taking one off game. So I think that really right now, Team Liquid should be happy with the results. I think it's pretty well said, man. I have a couple of things I want to unpack about this relating to what you said. First off, I'm going to uh, I'm going to poke some some people with the stick here and just say uh, turnabout is very fair play. If you're talking about a region that has you know air quotes underperformed or just not been good on the international stage for a while, and then you're comparing it to the region of the current world champions, the sort of heirs apparent to the Korean dynasty. That was, you know, a long several years of only Korean teams winning world championships. Any given Sunday, you know, a team a team can beat another team. I don't care where they come from. I don't care what kind of League of Legends they play. The beauty of it is it can happen. And if you don't accept the results of it happening and you and you try to hand wave it by saying like, oh, you know, like this was a throw by the better team. It's like, no, forget that. You know what that is? That's salty LPL fans. I'm just going to lay it down on the line right there. Um, and and there's, there's an argument to me that Team Liquid very much overperformed. But overperforming is different than the other team just being bad. Uh, and I think, I think that's what, what it comes down to. Is Team Liquid surprised uh, Invictus with their play, and they just proved to be a better team, and they built a lot of momentum. I think it all came down uh, in that, that first game uh, with Impact, and he had that really good Nico Pop Blossom. And Team Liquid kind of rallied behind that. And then basically the next couple of games, they were off to the races. Yeah, they dropped one, but it didn't really matter after that. And I, I remember just watching this with everyone being like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is actually happening. And I, I was just excited for it. I, I don't understand the purpose of being upset uh, because your expectations were subverted, uh, foreshadowing ahead. But, uh, yeah, that it was cool to me to see Team Liquid win, to get the series. But what was even cooler for me was to watch G2 reverse sweep SK Telecom. That is the comeback I was waiting for ever since Misfits lost to them at Worlds a couple years ago. And I will tell you, revenge is a tasty dish. Well, it was sort of reverse sweep. I've got to call it a reverse sweep. <laughs> I don't care if it technically wasn't. It still counts in my mind. I'm taking it magical. Okay, okay. I will give you that because it was an honest to God, I think that was the best series that we saw in, in the entirety of this year's MSI. It was so close at so many points, and the Pike top lane coming in from Wonder, Game 5, I'm like, yes, because they had a terrible Game 1 draft where I literally watched that game. I'm just like, G2, are you trying to lose? Is this like, are you trying to make it look bad? But then, then they came back, they figured out their stuff, they're like, okay, we oh, we remember how to draft again. And you look at how games oh, 2 work, 2 was decent, it was better. But it was really game five where I look at the draft coming in from G2, and it made me think that this G2 is Moscow 5 2.0. They are the modern-day Moscow 5 because they will not just play whatever, you know, they're not going to go to the meta. They're going to play what they want and what they're good at. The Syndra bot lane for perks because he's been such a great dominant mid laner for so long. Why not put him on something like that that's just about wave clear? Wonder can literally play whatever he wants. That Pike top lane reminds me of back when Darian was playing nothing but Warwick in the top lane just so he could see if it could get banned. And I like seeing that. I like seeing this kind of strange style because it is perfect into a Korean powerhouse like SKT who want to play clean, calculated League of Legends. 
where that's that's going to be their strength. Even though I think G2 can handle their own in that, you look at how they played against them in the first game of MSI, where G2 were able to beat SKT by playing the slow calculated style. I still think it's better not to constantly go against SKT that way, because eventually they're going to learn, they're going to adapt, they're going to figure out what your uh, style is, where you're trying to ward, what you're trying to do, and they're going to be able to beat you. So how you keep a team or any team that's from the Korean region on their toes is pretty much say, we're never going to play standard. You might think we're going to play standard, we're going to play different. Then when you think we're going to play different, we're going to play standard just to throw you off. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's been very powerful about G2, right, is their versatility, particularly in the draft phase, uh, because they can all play pretty much everything. You know, you, there's, there's so many flex picks that they throw into these drafts. It's, you know, look, just a, that, that game five alone, right? Pike could have gone top or support. Syndra could go uh, mid lane or bot lane. Like, these kinds of things come up all of the time. And, and it's one of those things that makes it very difficult for certain teams to draft against them. Uh, I think that's going to become a trend uh, in a little bit. But, it, you know, for, for me, this was a game that I, I watched, and it really does feel... And it's felt this way for a little bit now, but we're in a very different era of League of Legends nowadays. Because if you're one of those people that is really appreciated, like the clean crisp, calculated Korean style of League of Legends that we've had for the majority of the game's competitive history, this series looked like a mess. Um, there was a lot of, of very questionable decisions uh, interspersed by both teams, depending on the game. But we don't live in that world anymore. We live in a world where the best thing you can do is go for tempo plays. Make sure that you're the Ding one. Ding dong, clean league is dead. Yeah. And, and that's fine. It's it, it's not it's not a better or worse, it's a different. And I think that this was the series that kind of brought that into focus. Because if you could get over the idea that this wasn't the cleanest series that either of these teams have had in their in their histories, uh, there was a lot of really fun, really interesting moments. And, and ultimately, G2, it's just that uh, versatility and that ability to... Uh, pace the game in their favor ended up being able to carry the day. Um, I think SKT is going to bounce back. I think IG will bounce back too for whatever that's worth. But I, I think it's, it is safe to say that in both of the semifinals, uh, even though they were both uh, upsets, depending on who you ask, I, I think that in both cases, uh, the better team on the day won. And I think that it's great that we're seeing that, you know, uh, especially G2, but even now uh, TL, we're just seeing they're at their very best, uh, are able to do some pretty special stuff. Absolutely, man. I am super excited you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of the results both being upsets in different ways, because we talked about this last week on the pod, uh, and we kind of made some, uh, I want to say, uh, we just sort of laid out some some things that we would do if that happened. Now, Magical you led with uh, you donate to charity and you like instantly delivered. So by the way, congratulations. Thank you. Do you want to give a shout out to the charity you donated to? Yeah, so it's called City Year and I was told it by one of our listeners, Manizel. He is a big Team Liquid fan and I in fact was talking to him before Team Liquid won and said that 
if Team Liquid and G2 win, I will donate to the charity they ch that he chooses. And he chose City Year because apparently they've partnered really closely with Team Liquid. So I thought that was a really cool thing to be able to go, okay, you know, and they do a lot of stuff with schools and try to help out that way. So I, I like things that help with education. That's awesome, man. And I, I think uh, Chase and I decided to kind of follow suit. Now, I had said I would eat a delicious meal, and I did. I tweeted a picture <laughs> of it uh, from the airport in Kiev. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, that wasn't exactly the most um, outlandish thing I could have done. So I decided to go ahead and follow your lead, and I ended up donating $100 to the ACLU uh, to, you know, kind of fight for uh, the rights of Americans and stuff like that. So I felt like that uh, more or less counted under the umbrella do you guys yeah, think so oh, I, I agree i 100 percent agree yeah and i i ended up doing uh the same myself uh both because it seemed like a great solidarity moment and also because uh i feel like i've clearly upset the esports gods with my hubris and maybe this act of charity and penance will uh put me back in their favor as we head into the summer split uh, an offering is never a bad idea, my friend. There's plenty of time for Invictus to be world champs again. Uh, also, quick shout out to uh, a couple of other listeners and friends of, of uh, ours on the show uh, that have kind of gone along with that. I believe it was uh, uh, Munizalol uh, donated $25. I didn't yes. see to which charity. It was and, it, uh, um, city, uh, city Year as well. Yeah, also City And Red Necra. So if you guys are listening, uh, thank you very much for uh, also the generous donation. And it, it kind of feels good. You know, it feels good to, to give to a, a good cause. So, I, I, you know, good, good warm fuzzies all around. Um, but the warmest of fuzzies for European fans came at the end of MSI. Sick transition, am I right? Uh, <laughs> where G2, I mean, this was, this was unbelievable. G2 trounced Team Liquid. Not only was it a 3-0 sweep, it was the fastest international final of any League of Legends match that, you know, that's tracked of all time which was copped, capped off with an 18-minute third and final game. This was just a stomp. I mean, there's a reason I'm going to call G2 the modern-day Moscow 5, and I'm going to sing that until the cows come home because this team is a team that is reminiscent of the early days when Moscow 5 would come in and dominate everyone and why everyone always used to think they were going to be the team that would win every single international event because they are that clean, they are that good, they can play whatever they want, and Team Liquid were not ready for that. The closest they have had to that kind of experience against a team that will play that weird style was in group stage, and then second to that was playing against Cloud9. And I don't think that's a fair comparison. I think Cloud9 are a very different team from how G2 are. G2 are the super team of the LEC. They are the team that came together to make the best possible team they could in order not only to dominate Europe, but to dominate the world. Similar to how SKT is, except SKT plays the Korean slow, calculated, methodical style. When you look at G2, they play a very, very, very weird, wonky we are going to make sure not only to smash you in lane, but we will smash you when it comes to team fights. And you look at that 18-minute game where it's really claps. It was he was clapping Jensen, he was clapping uh, X Smithy in mid lane, so they could He's got win. So many tools too, man. Like they ban one or two, and then all of a sudden heaps more champion choices pop up. The drafting has been exactly. really impressing me. Like they got their hands on Zyra Khan twice just because they couldn't. Team Liquid couldn't afford to ban 
a whole lot of other things against G2 Esports. They had to really go for trying to hit Caps Champion Pool. But, I mean, this guy, it's it's crazy to say it because, you know, I've gotten so used to the idea that you can't apply this label to a Western mid laner. But Caps is very easily right now the best player in the world. Yeah, I actually would argue that I think Mickey is the best. I think, Ooh, that's I think, an interesting... I think okay, you know what? Mickey I'm not going to totally disagree with you. Yeah, Mickey was the one that, if you look at every single game of G2 at MSI, Mickey was the primary factor, and he was at 50% that entire time. He was injured and trying to play with his hands literally hurting him while trying to play, make, do, play Recon, who is a playmaking support. He was the one setting up perks in that bot lane. He was even setting up uh, claps in mid lane many times with his rotation so i would argue that while i think caps is amazing mickey's better it's a role based thing too right and i guess that gets into a much deeper argument i originally intended to say best mid laner but i kind of in the moment was like i think he's the best player i still think he is but you make a lot of very fair points and i know chase has a very clever rebuttal from what i heard do you want to do you want to give it chase i uh, i'm not sure i mean, look caps is a very coin flip player. I think Caps at his best is uh, can be the best player in the world, but I don't think he's consistent enough to earn that title from me quite yet. I think that you know the unfortunate thing about this series is that uh, this is exactly what I expected from Team Liquid. This is what happens when you play a best of five against a team that has a really strong early game in which you only have two to three champions that you can put your top laner on without it being a disaster. Uh, we we kind of saw the shallowness of, of his pool there, and Team Liquid just didn't know how to work around the the so many flex picks that G2 brought yeah, up fair. there. Uh, this was... I don't... You know, I, I think that we have the uh, kind of classic letdown game, right? Like, we've talked about this in, in traditional sports for a while, but so many times you have, you know, a team like Team Liquid that goes into a series against IG and is like, look, we have nothing to lose. No one expects us to do anything in this spot. So we're going to throw everything out there and just go for it. Uh, and they so they let themselves lose because they don't feel like they have to, to reach any particular standard. Uh, they're just going to do their best. And of course they do. And then they win. And then suddenly there's that feeling of like, oh, crap, we're in the finals now. Like now we could be the first North American team to win an international event that that matters um we could you know now we have this this pressure because it's against europe and the west is best narratives we know you know the eu versus na rivalry will make it a thing and we don't you know now they're in the finals against g2 and now there's a lot of pressure and i think that you could see that in how team liquid played and i think this was a very classic letdown game uh which is unfortunate um you know i i think to to come back to your point from earlier period, you know, I, I, I think when we talk about big upsets like uh, the IGTL stuff, uh, the answer uh, of whether it's uh, the underdog playing well or the favorite playing poorly is usually both. I don't, you know, Team Liquid played out of their minds. It was the best League of Legends I think they've ever played, and they absolutely deserved the win. And. If IG played to the level we know IG can play to and was as aggressive and as proactive as G2 was in these three games, then we're not seeing a TL in the finals. But they didn't, and TL did make those adaptations. And it's just unfortunate that then 
uh, either because of the, the heat of the moment or because G2 was just, you know, a perfect stylistic counter to what Team Liquid wanted to do, that it had to end the way it did. But I, I think if nothing else, you look at this from Team Liquid's perspective and you say, well, now we know we can do it. Now we know we can get there. The monkey's off our back as far as getting out of the group stage for, for someone like Double Lift. And yeah, they didn't end fourth. Yeah. You know, they denied the meme. They did deny the meme. They did not fulfill the meme of being the fourth uh, winner of MSI. But which which also would have been part of the meme. So yeah, they, they completely uh, they broke the curse in that way. Yeah, I, I I feel I feel what you're saying. Like with regards to like upsets, like and you know teams overperforming versus other teams underperforming. It is always a mix. I, I I really just wanted to hammer home that when my my reaction, my gut reaction to watching people kind of dismiss Liquid making it to the finals was just you're just being salty. Because it just discredits what they did. Whereas, yes, in the finals, they definitely were extremely outmatched by G2. That doesn't negate the fact that they were a finalist-worthy team. It just happened to be that G2, for every combination of reason, was the best team at this tournament and demonstrated it in pretty smashing fashion. So, yeah, that was MSI. I can't wait to see, uh, you know, the next... Um, the next iteration of all the leagues and stuff, like, you know, if we look at it, we've got a, a couple of weeks still for international break. The LCS starts back up on June 1st, the LEC on June 7th, along with most of the other leagues. I know the LPL will also be June 1st um, and the LCK on the 5th of June. So definitely keep an eye out for when all of that stuff starts picking back up again. But we should definitely be moving on. We've got ourselves uh, a little bit of info on Smash. And this is Smash Melee, by the way. I know you guys... Definitely like to talk about this every now and again. Uh, and speaking of things that haven't happened in a while, with uh, NA and EU performing well internationally, in the Get All My Level 2019 event, this is for Super Smash Bros. Melee, Mango, yeah, Mango from C9, won over Tempo Storm's Axe in the finals 3-2. to two. This is the first time that Mango has won a title in two years it was it was nuts. So I like watching Smash, and I'm not I'm not gonna go out there and be like, oh, I'm an expert at it. I know how to talk about it beautifully, and you know, I know all the neutrals and all that stuff. I, I know, can edge guard. I'm kind see, of. I am an ice climber's main, but I do not wobble. So that, if that gives you an idea of how I play, so I I look at this tournament and I watched the Mango, the C9 Mango versus TSM Leffen match. And that was absurd domination coming in from Mango, where normally that has been a Leffen-favored kind of match, where he has been someone that honestly just has looked like he is the new king of melee. Got four-stocked in the first game by C9 Mango on his Falco. It was a trouncing, to say the least. And you can tell that Leffen was not feeling it at that tournament, because he goes into the next match, goes up against Axe, and does pretty uh, terribly there as well. He goes, I think he went 3-1 against Axe. Then you get into the finals where Mango, it was a much closer round against Axe. That was where it was almost looking like Mango, because Mango has been getting to the finals many, many, many times, even though he has But just not being able to actually win it. That's why exactly. it, it, it's been such a big deal. Right, and that's exactly what I was going to say. It's just, he's got, he's pretty much just been the bridesmaid, never the bride for the, the past two years, Had has been struggling just to be able to close it out and finally was able to do it. And so I'm really proud of him being able to go in there, getting that title. And hopefully this means it's the 
the returning of the old king, C9 Mango will now be dominating melee, but we'll we'll have to wait on that. I'm just I'm just happy to inform everyone that we got Mango winning. Yeah, it definitely feels nice to see Mango uh, playing back up to the guy that we we've known he can be for a while now. It, it definitely the the thing about melee that's always been, I think. Uh, nice if for, for longtime fans and, and kind of off-putting for people that would be interested in getting into it is that there really only are a handful of people that ever win a major tournament. You know, it's the, the five gods, as they used to say for Melee for a while, and then the, the god killers. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very rare sight. But, you know, Mango has been obviously the most vulnerable of, uh, of the Melee gods for a, a while now. So seeing him step up was great. I also just want to give a shout out to uh, Wizrobe, who got a reverse sweep on Hungrybox to, to get as far as he did. Uh, you don't reverse sweep Hungrybox basically ever, let alone in like a loser's bracket uh, kind of semifinals match like that. And it's, you know, there was actually a really great tweet by Hungrybox uh, along the lines of, uh, you know, everything's just gone downhill since the crab, man. <laughs> which I thought was very funny. <laughs> which, that's a throwback for us, too, because that was the first say. time we covered Smash on the podcast. Yeah. I get the Crab Rave. <laughs> yeah, the Crab yeah crab Rave uh, rising in the meme rankings. Um, One more thing before we move away from Mango, though, is uh, his tweet at the end of it. You could tell that this guy is just so... This is a monkey off his back, for sure. He tweets, all caps, get on a nice guy's level. That's how you end a dry spell. And then I won't repeat the rest of the tweet because uh, <laughs> it, it, it contains a few curse words. But you guys can look it up. Go, Just go Google C9 Mango. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a feel-good story, man. Uh, so it'll, it's only fair that we rebalance the universe by talking about something that just wants to make us facepalm so hard our hands smash through our heads. Um, and this story comes from the wonderful world of Spanish CSGO. So... In this particular instance, this particular episode, uh, there's a team called Queso, Team Queso. They got caught for match fixing in the LVP Super League Orange, which is the Spanish league for CSGO teams. But they did it in a way that was pretty dumb. <laughs> and this is a Chase, this is a Chase website article. This is from Unicorn. So Chase, I'm gonna let you have the floor. Take it away. Yeah, so you know, in general, match fixing, really not great. Uh, that should be an obvious at this point. We've seen CSGO players literally getting lifetime bans from the major events uh, for doing it. Though the, I, it should be clear, this was not done for financial reasons. It was done because it was the last match heading into the playoffs, and they didn't want to play against Giants Gaming. And so they're like, well, if we lose this game, we have... Uh, a better first-round matchup in the playoffs, which to me is absolutely absurd already because you guys are going to risk serious uh, repercussions to throw a game just to get slightly better playoff seeding when you know you're going to have to play them in the playoffs eventually anyway, right, guys? Like, that was kind of crazy. But here's the thing. You know, the LVP, uh, which is the, the Spanish League, they also run uh, the EU Masters Spanish League for those... Uh, uh, who know them from there and th they didn't really have like a lot of really strong like detection uh for this stuff but they did have the chat and and here are some messages that were in the match log uh quote 
it's hard not to kill them. I missed 30 bullets sh shooting him in the back, and he didn't even turn around. Uh, second quote, oh boy. we'll throw on the CT side. And third quote, I'm going to rush middle. Uh, yeah, they, they, it turns out um, you should not leave very clear written evidence that you're throwing a game uh, if you want to get away with huh. throwing a game. I, It's honestly it's funny how that works. Because um, literally they just like sent the logs to Giants and were like, look, uh, we could like do a full-on investigation if you want. Uh, or Sorry, not to Giants, the Team Queso. Uh, we can do a full-on investigation if you want, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think this is probably a, a closed case. And case it yeah, was done. By, uh, yeah, they just released the yeah. entire team. I mean, they released the roster. The team had gotten the team basically just like forfeited their playoff spot anyway. So yeah, don't match fix. Even if you just don't want to face a team, just don't do it. Yeah. Cool. This isn't League we of got Legends one where more. you can pick just a whole bunch of weird pocket stuff. And do crazy compositions. Yeah, and they'll just be like, "Oh no, it's totally legit, valid strategy." No, no, CS:GO. Yeah, running running it down uh, middle is not a not a viable strategy. <laughs> uh, we got one more thing before we move away from esports, and this is really more of a, a kind of greatest hits, if you will, a compilation. This is kind of a shout out for you, Chase, because I know you've been sweating it, burning the midnight oil, uh, candle at both ends. I don't know how many metaphors I have in here, but basically, you've been writing what looks to be, you know, a, a Lord of the Rings esque tale. <laughs> An epic, your, your your odyssey, if it will, of uh, Fortnite esports and the multitudes of ways that Epic has basically screwed up royally in trying to implement them. Is there anything new in here other than what we talked about, or do you wanna do you wanna just give a shout out to you know the the hard work and research that went into producing this masterpiece? Yeah, I mean, this took a while uh, because every time I thought I was done, Epic did something else that was even. Uh, either dumber or, or more potentially harmful to these players than what I had already had on my list. So it, it was kind of, it, it's an incredible story to watch in terms of the consistency of it because you can go all the way back to the Fortnite Pro-Am and TwitchCon, you know, these the first events that Fortnite had. And you have, to, you have the Force Peripheral stuff. You have the Winter Royale in the World Series of Esports, both getting... Uh, completely flipped on their heads because a new uh, broken weapon or item was added to the game the same day as those tournaments. Uh, those tournaments which had hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. Uh, there's banning things after months that players had gotten used to and they'd been told was okay. Uh, it's not paying players on time. It's giving cheaters two weeks of a suspension and then allowing them to still qualify for the World Cup when there's video evidence of them cheating. Uh, in what should have been the most slam dunk case ever, uh, there was the giant middle finger competitive update where they went out of their way to tell the competitive players we're not going to do any of the things that you want. Uh, it, it's just, it's constant and it's consistent. And it's one of those things where the idea that, you know, Fortnite Esports is going to be anything other than a giant marketing tool through which Epic just has an absurd amount of money to throw into it to ensure they're going to keep getting the headlines and keep getting players to show up. You know, I, I think that the only way this improves is if Epic decides for themselves that they want to invest in this, that they want to build up a real esports team 
uh, one that is that's their primary purpose is to handle outreach to talk to these pros to come up with a tournament realm type system to make sure that there's some stability here there's a lot that they could do and they certainly have a lot of money to do it they've got daddy 10 cent money at the end of the day uh, and they just have to want to do it and the thing that's kind of clear when you look at each step along the way is that epic clearly hasn't wanted to to this point uh, nor have they really wanted to reinvest in i don't know uh hiring enough staff members that you don't have to have your people work 70 hour weeks in perpetuity like uh polygon reported has been the case with epic. yikes so there's a lot there's a lot that epic just isn't doing right now because whether it's the epic game store or it's the fortnite esports scene their strategy has just been we're gonna outspend everybody and that makes us relevant and man this uh yeah that's it's that's just a lot man yeah it's, it really is it's a lot uh it's a long it's a it's a long article it took uh, uh quite a few days of of hard work into it uh it's been great to see uh the uh, reception to it so far i highly recommend if you have any interest in uh fortnite's esports scene or, or just kind of where we stand in the industry in general i i think that uh there are a lot of lessons that can be learned from from that whole thing and uh and yeah uh it's a lot it it uh epic please i think is uh something that unfortunately we're gonna continue to talk about until uh serious changes are made uh, chase i got one question for you uh -huh. um you mentioned that uh, this article was difficult to write because every time you thought you were done, something else happened. <laughs> what are you going to do when Epic screws up something else? You know, Which will happen next week. Yeah, I'll, I'll do <laughs> I'll do individual articles on that. Maybe if I if it gets uh, if, maybe if an, maybe create an anthology eventually. At some point, it's going to be six <laughs> new things that Epic did. Hey, look, this is the fellowship of the Epic Game Store. Next will be. I don't know what what uh how do we how do we spin the two towers into that? Uh, the tilted towers, obviously. Yeah. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah go. I like that. Um. Cool. Uh, all right. So this is the first week I think we've had in a little while where uh, we'll be able to move from that to uh, talking about good things in the Blizzard world uh, because we've definitely given Blizzard our share of grief over some of their questionable decisions as well. But we're talking mostly about Hearthstone this week. And uh, this is kind of my area of expertise, so if you guys don't have as much to add on it, that's okay. But uh, a lot of nerfs card and buffs games. actually came in. Yes, I love card games. They're my favorite. <laughs> that was um, my input. I, I was giving my input. Oh, yeah? yeah. Cool. I will. I, they should put you on a Yu-Gi-Oh! Bridge. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Here's the question. Please, please get me in there. Is it just card games, or is it card games on motorcycles? Because that's a very important Ooh, this is hmm. actually very Good important. question, actually. Card games on motorcycles. <laughs> Love yeah, that. I would love to. I mean, technically, you can play you can play Hearthstone on a motorcycle. I wouldn't recommend it though because you're not watching the road. <laughs> yeah, uh, so don't do that at home. No, do not um, do but that. yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the upcoming card changes. So basically, Blizzard came through and announced uh, a round of nerfs as well as some buffs in two separate posts uh, over the last couple of days. It's gone live today officially. So the changes mostly revolve around the rogue class. Many of them are newer cards. Um, just nerfs in cost or stats. The biggest change was a card called Preparation, which uh, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, basically is kind of core to the whole rogue philosophy of kind of like comboing cards for cheap. It's a zero-cost spell that lets the next spell you play cost three less. They made it change to cost two less. It's a big deal because preparation's basically been around forever, and it's the first big nerf to it. 
And uh, in addition, they changed a couple other powerful cards. They, re- they, re- they increased the cost of uh, a new legendary called Arkvist Elysiana. That's related to warriors and how they can stall up games with it. So I'm kind of going into speed mode. I'm just going to lay it out here. I like this. I normally look at the changes Blizzard makes. And with a few exceptions, I'm not always super happy with like a lot of knee-jerk reactions and things. Like uh, when they nerfed Fiery War Axe, for instance, I wasn't super happy about that. But I look at these, I'm like, actually, this is all fine. Every card they nerfed is still very playable. I think the rogue class is still very playable. It's just not it's just not overbearingly OP anymore. The Archivist Elysiana change makes a lot of sense because it was basically they basically they just removed a specific combo that made it really, really annoying to play against one particular deck that was all over the place um, and made the card itself still very useful. And then on the other side, they buffed a lot of cards that basically were in like tier two, tier three, tier four decks. So that now a lot of those cards will be played much more frequently, which is really cool. So like I actually really like, you know, I'm, I'm going to applaud Blizzard uh, for what they're doing. They're also giving everyone a free legendary card. And it's great because it's a it's a magnetic um, three cost mech, which basically magnetic means you can like you can you can give it, it up to add its stats to another mech. But it's a giant walking crab called Snip Snap. And I'm like, cool. I like that. Bring the crab rave. Yeah, I can get behind Snip Snap. I, I will say, uh, it, you know, and, and I used to play Hearthstone quite a bit. Uh, I'm now out of the game mostly because I'm all in on Elder Scrolls Legends, which has been pretty fun. Uh, and, and maybe one day we will talk on the pod. But, you know, honestly, the, the one thing that I, I didn't like about these changes uh, was the prep change. Uh, prep has been a card that's been in the game for basically since its inception. Uh, it's been a staple of the rogue class, and every single rogue spell has been designed with that three cost reduction in mind. Rogue spells are, in general, over uh, t- too high of a cost for their benefit because we know that rogue has easy ways to reduce those spells' costs, and you have to take that in mind. So what Blizzard did here is they've nerfed prep while not changing any of the other cards that were balanced with prep in its old state to be balanced around prep in its new state. And so I think that there's going to be a cascade effect here uh, because it's not just that prep has been nerfed, it's that every single card that you paired prep with is now worse too. I think that's going to be a concern. I think it's particularly going to hit wild. I think wild uh, most rogue decks that I've seen uh, rely pretty heavily on, on using prep for combo pieces in ways that aren't going to necessarily be nearly as effective anymore when the power level of wild is just so high. So I will I will grant you wild might be might be a bit of an issue, but I do wanna I do wanna kind of go on your point about prep kind of being an overbearing nerf. If you uh, I, I I might have interrupted you though. No, go, you had go one for thing it. to say still. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm just going to lay it out there and say that basically, I don't think this is an issue specifically because there, there are a lot of spells that aren't particularly extremely costly that are being used currently in the rogue set. So what's really popular in the ladder up until this point was a a tempo rogue and also a battle cry rogue, which basically, you know, a lot of it kind of goes back to the old miracle rogue. Yes, obviously preparation, um, but backstab, shadow step those types of things were making a lot of frequent appearance. Those are very low-cost spells. In fact, all cost zero. Eviscerate is the other rogue spell 
that is used in almost every single deck because it's so useful. It does four damage on a combo. Um, that's still a free card with prep because it's a two drop, right? Sap is another one that's frequently used. That's a two drop spell, so that's still a free a free card. Uh, other common spells like Fan of Knives, that only costs one. I still think that's reasonably fair, to be honest. I, I The reason I'm not, I don't have a problem with this is because I think it just made comboing things with Rogue a little bit too easy. Prep wasn't necessarily the problem. The power creep of the Rogue class was the problem. That really kind of took off here. So now you still have like a, a lot of expensive and overpriced spells in the last couple of expansions. Maybe not overpriced, but expensive spells like, um, like Cannon Barrage if you're running... Uh, uh, a, ro a rogue pirate deck or Myers Unstable Element, which was being used in tempo decks to basically finish your opponent off because you draw the rest of your deck for five mana. Um, using that with prep, still, I think it still gives you a pretty good swing. It's just one mana less, and I don't, I don't particularly think it's that big of an issue that it uh, that rogues basically have to pay one extra mana to do these combos because we were getting, you know, if you've ever run up against like a twelve twelve Edwin Van Cleef on turn three. You know it feels bad to play against Rogue sometimes. So in this particular instance, I'm okay with that nerf. You know what would have been a great way to do everything you're describing? Uh, there's this amazing thing that Hearthstone does called the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of <laughs> Fame. And you put cards I don't think are... Edwin should be Hall of Fame. No, you should put prep in the Hall of Fame. That fixes every single problem you just made and doesn't wait, hurt the class. And wait life. a minute. Wait a minute, you were saying they should If you're going to nerf, prep, nerf prep, but you'd rather Hall of Fame it? I would rather not nerf prep and Hall of Fame it. The prep nerf is bad. It's a I hate that nerf. It's a card that's existed in the state for years. They have years of sets that have been released around that card working the way that it did. And so if like if now, now is the moment that prep is suddenly the problem that you're going to fix. Not the last 5 or 6 years where Rogue has been even more oppressive than it is right now, right now, then the very easy answer to this was to push it to the Hall of Fame when you push a whole bunch of problematic cards in standard to the Hall of Fame. If prep was this uh. close to being nerfed, you had, it was like a month and a half ago, guys. Like that, I don't know, man. I, 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 I hate it. I, like, let, me, let me interject with a, a counterpoint. Uh -huh. Card games on motorcycles. Card games on motorcycles. Yeah, you know, I yeah, hmm. It sounds familiar. I, okay, I like that idea. Boom. I, I guess uh, I guess Chase, we're gonna have to agree to disagree, but that's okay. We got a lot of new stuff coming through the pipe, so let's move on uh, and talk about uh, a fun little thing in Pokemon Sword and Shield. So of course, this is a game that will be coming out towards the end of 2019. We still have very limited information on it, but what we do know now is just like in the previous uh, main Pokemon games, X, uh, no, not X and Y, that was, that was when they first started doing it, um, just like in previous Pokemon games since X and Y, uh, we will be able to customize the trainer's outfits, including different shirts. We don't know all the details of it. Some of it was revealed through a trailer uh, that dropped detailing, uh, I believe it was the, the male version of the trainer wearing what looked like a soccer jersey. Uh, that's pretty cool. I like that. I like not having to wear the same red and white color palette for every single character I play. Same. And uh, yeah, I'm also just, it's also just made me really excited for Sword and Shield, not because of that news, but because I remembered that that was happening. Exactly. That's kind of why I wanted to put this in here, just because it's like, I pre-ordered it two days ago. Oh, uh, I need to do that. I, oh, okay, so are, are you getting Sword or Shield? I want Sword, but part of me is like, I should get Shield because like, I know it'll be the one that like less people get. I, I'm getting Shield. I'm getting Shield. Okay, I'm getting Sword then. Okay, Chase? cool. cool. I don't own a Switch, so... <gasps> That's right. I'm gonna... Do you want to join us and, and become a Pokemon Master? 
I, I sure would. We gotta would. be the very best. Like, no one ever was. I'll yeah, did you know to catch them is my real test? But, but what's your cost, cost, though, is the question. It's to train them, obviously. Oh, I will travel across the land. All right, this is gonna away. get this is gonna get really long. We gotta kill it here. <laughs> um, but yeah, Chase, if you wanna if you wanna get a switch, uh, we should we should make that happen. Yeah, um, you know, if uh, one happens to fall into my lap, that sounds great. Uh, otherwise, I, uh, you know, money. Chase, money I need is a I need you to DM exists. me your address and uh, and your birth date. Ah, interesting. Okay. For no reason. Um, sounds legit. Also, potentially Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is very good. Uh, we'll okay, I know what date that is, though, so you don't have to send it to me. It's okay. Ooh, good. Okay. Well, we'll f- Future Us can figure all that stuff out later on. It is yes. going to be very fun. I, I do I do love the aesthetic that they've showed off for the world. I, I do think that, you know, those kind of customization things uh, are, are always a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think that it adds more to, to your character as a whole. Because Pokemon, in, in general, right, like the protagonist obviously is not one that that does a lot of uh, of speaking or whatnot so you're kind of putting yourself uh into that position uh and it you know and so being able to customize it really make it feel like your own and, and really like you're the one going out and following in this uh wilderness it's like it was my favorite part of the uh the polygon nuzlocke challenge that uh griffin mcelroy did where every time he won anything there had to be a makeover uh, to figure out what was going on there. And it was just very, it, it just adds a lot to me. Those little touches, I think, can go a long way. And this is a, a game that, from everything we're seeing, has a lot of really good little touches um, that, that should make it uh, a ton of fun. Yeah, I'm digging it, dude. There is some very big news that we do have to report on, and it is relating to League of Legends, specifically. League of Legends on motorcycles. No, just kidding, on a phone. Yeah. Uh, it is... League Mobile is officially happening. It's uh, It's been reported. Now, I know we have another one from uh, Unicorn as well, but uh, it's been reported on multiple outlets that League of Legends Mobile is in development from Riot and Tencent, so however much this is jointly done, or if Riot is purely in like an advisory role, and Tencent's just basically making the whole thing themselves, uh, that is not particularly known. But uh, this was a sticking point for years between Tencent and Riot, even though uh, one owns the other, there was definitely a lot of debate about this. And, you know, we also saw a lot of uh, League of Legends mobile clones over the years as well. Uh, You know, uh, things like Arena of Valor, um, which, of course, was a U.S. title for Honor of Kings. Uh, And uh, basically, now we kind of finally have this deal in place, it seems, that uh, the mobile version of League is going to happen. And... Basically, this is kind of what everyone's been talking about in the gaming world for the last couple of days. It seems like it really is big news. Putting the S in games. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Man. Is it, it's, is it, if it's technically like a port, does it count as a separate game? Riot's going to consider it that. I, I, I hate the disrespect that's shown to Mechs and Minions every time people make that joke now. That's a good board game. Also, Blitzcrank's Poro Roundup, that was the Give first mobile back. game that Riot I made. Want it back. Oh, I, I still have it installed on my phone, I by the way, and I can't ever take it off because I can't play it. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm going to keep that uh, keep that one forever. So I'm I, salty so, about that. Yeah, I, I just... So, so Riot gets some credit for the S in games there. But yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where uh, it, it's been a matter of time because if you look at... Uh, 
uh, the mobile gaming market, especially in China, but really internationally at this point. Um, there's just so... The, the market's just growing uh, at a very fast rate. Uh, it's something that is so accessible now that the vast majority of... Uh, you know, you know, it's something that that's very common for people to have kind of smartphone devices, even compared to a console or like a high-end PC. Uh, it's great that Tencent. Uh, it looks like there's kind of been a compromise here, where it's not going to be a one-to-one -one transition. It's not going to be, you know, uh, necessarily the same Summoner's Rift five-on-five -five, uh, play style. It's going to be something that is designed with mobile in mind, but makes use of the IP in a way that should help compared to uh, Clash of Kings slash Arena Valor, depending on where you're from, which had a lot of the same League of Legends trappings uh, because it was made by Tencent, but didn't include any of the IP and therefore had a hard time catching on in Western regions. Uh, this will be something that I think uh, will click uh, significantly uh, more easily uh, just because it's got a lot of IP that many fans are invested in, and it is going to be uh, so accessible uh, in terms of uh, being able to reach kind of this wide market. So it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. It'll be very interesting to see what the differences between the, the two versions end up being, and it's going to be very interesting to see uh, whether you know the League of Legends mobile side of it is going to get its own esports scene, right? Is this going to be the next Vainglory type uh, that you could throw out there? Because certainly Riot slash Tencent would have more money to throw into international uh, mobile esports competitions than just about everyone else currently in that market. And uh, it's un it's untapped. I, I think it's in play. I think this also goes a little bit with the recent news that came out that League of Legends is the top gross uh, earning game again that it has taken that title back that it kind of had lost so it will be from, from fortnite right yep so it was wow, uh, that, i think that got released uh last night just this morning essentially so really really recently oh man proper breaking news yeah exactly so <laughs> so da, 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 da. we try we try but yeah okay so going on to that it just it works really well with the fact that they're trying to go with this mobile just because it's like chase is saying it just it's such a big market why hasn't Riot been doing this before? Why has it been taking so long just to get into that stage? I mean, sure, they want to perfect it, all that stuff. It's something that I think a lot of people have wanted around the world for some time. So all this will do is continue to show that League of Legends is going to be the dominant game for many years to come. All right. Well, uh, looks like that'll be it for the gaming section. Shall we take a break, gentlemen? Okay, let's talk about Blue. Here at the GGWP, we use Blue microphones on every episode. And I gotta say, they are so easy to use, and they sound great. That professional audio quality you're hearing right now, that's a Blue microphone. Their Yeti USB mic is the internet's most popular microphone, and they have a full line of premium headphones that deliver amazing sound with a unique and super comfortable fit. Blue's award-winning products help countless podcasters, musicians, YouTube creators, and Twitch streamers find and amplify their voices. Learn more about Blue at bluedesigns.com and use the code GGWP in their web store for a 20% discount at checkout. All right, everybody, we're back once again. 
Uh, from the break, let's get into the pop culture section. Let's dive right into it because I finally saw Detective Pikachu, which means the majority of this podcast has now seen that film. <laughs> Sorry, Magical. That's you have okay. no one to blame but yourself. I know. I've been busy. I'm sorry, guys. I've disappointed. Do you want to see it? Because if you don't, I do. it's okay. No, no, I actually do. I, I will see it. You guys feel free to spoil it, and no matter what, I'm still seeing it. I'm going to do light spoilers. That's fine. Like, That's when fine. I say so light, I mean, like, I'm going to talk about a couple of plot points and, like, the characters and stuff. Go, la, la, also, like, you know, spoilers la, la, ahead, <laughs> light ones for any of the people who haven't seen this film yet. Honestly, if you haven't, you should definitely go see it, um, because we will be talking about... Uh, a little bit of that stuff. But uh, Chase, I know you watched it the other week before last episode, or yeah, last episode, and you kind of, you didn't say anything about it, which I really appreciate, because holy crap, I loved this movie. It was, it was just, it gave me all the 90s Pokemon warm fuzzies, like early 2000s-esque stuff. It was kind of straight out of the games and look and feel, even like a bit of the anime. Uh, and, and I thought the acting was pretty good. Obviously, Ryan Reynolds is Ryan Reynolds, uh, so it is a bit like watching a PG-13 Deadpool uh, but what I really liked is, for any of you eagle-eyed uh, people out there, the guy that played the main character, uh, Justice Smith's best friend, was Karan Sony, who played Deadpool's, like, getaway taxi driver, Dopinder, in both Deadpool films. Oh my god, that's amazing. That, I was, I was eyeing to being it before the episode, and I'm just like, no way. So I love that little bit, even though uh, the two of them never interact. I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Uh, but in general, I I thought it was an interesting film across the board. It's, uh, you know, it was definitely, as I think you mentioned, Chase, like, you can kind of see where the plot was going to go. There's, like, one kind of twist-ish thing at the end that, like, you kind of can very easily put two and two together once it lines up the pieces for you. But, yes, it's a kid's movie, so it makes sense that it would be a little bit more, um, I guess, obvious is, is the right word. Uh, but I just love the visual. I didn't think I ever expected a like movie that's partial CG, partial uh, live action to really blend so well in the in terms of Pokemon. Like it really did feel uh, like very visually stunning in that regard. And I think that was the first thing that blew me away. It was that in the cinematography um, looked incredibly well done. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's the the real selling point of this movie, right? It's the um, it's the world. You, you can really get lost in the Pokemon world, which uh, for all of us OG fans, I think uh, is exactly what we would want from a Pokemon film. Uh, it does enough to differentiate itself by the idea that, you know, it's not the uh, typical trainer story, uh, which is, in my opinion, a very strong move for a first film because it does give you the ability to get involved in this world and give you kind of that uh, very... Uh, tried and true detective formula, I think. Uh, you know, we've seen... If you've ever seen a detective film, you kind of know, you know, where the, the beats are going to be, but uh, with that Pokemon framework, it, it just does so much to uh, bring things to life. I, I think that uh, the two twists, twists, quote-unquote, that are in this, I, I think are things that uh, the average person uh, in, in our demographic is probably going to see a mile away, but that's fine because the execution is quite good. And that's really, this is a movie that has a lot of heart and uh, some people at the helm who really clearly care about Pokemon as a phenomena and want to tell stories that people can connect with and will care about. And I think you hit that on the head. It feels like it was made 
by fans for fans. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a moment that felt like, oh, we have to obligatory do this because it's Pokemon or whatever. No, it, it really did feel like that in in that sense. So I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna plus one there, big time. And, and and fans of all ages, right? Like that's the thing that I thought was really great is how they balanced the references to the original series for people like us, but also clearly made a story that if you're an eight to twelve year old kid, uh, oh my god, this is gonna be the movie that just well, comes. See, to that's life where I was gonna just chime in and say I think that's important actually for a Pokemon movie because. You can't go into a Pokemon movie and just assume it's going to be like a, a PG-13 film noir-esque style. This is still, at the end, the end of the day, a kid's movie. It's meant for kids. So, Because I, I, I heard some people saying, oh, it was a little bit too light. Well, yeah, it's, it's not for adults. It's, it is for kids at the end of the day. Well, an adult can enjoy it, and they can love it, and they can have nostalgia. You can't go into it expecting it to be a groundbreaking cinematography of this deep narrative that, like you'd see from something like The Usual Suspects. It's, it's Pikachu. I am going to actually just put this out here, though. I think this is the first time I watched a movie that was labeled as all ages and actually felt it was for all ages. Because, you know, we usually say, oh, yeah, it's a kid's movie. But I really do think there was enough in here for the generation uh, of us that grew up with the original Pokemon. That's good to actually kind of appreciate it. And there was some stuff that was, you know, for more for adults that whooshed. I mean, anytime you have Ryan Reynolds, yes, he was much more contained than, you know, his Deadpool character. Of course, that's the subject matter. But it's also Ryan Reynolds kind of by default has a lot of this like quirky, snarky, fast talking wit um, and, and very often adult humor. And somehow he managed to pull that off with the body of Pikachu incredibly well. And that was the thing that blew me away is I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to say this movie was carried by him. I would say I would say a lot of people were very much interested in seeing how that was going to be. And that probably brought a lot of people to theaters. Um, but the supporting cast was also quite good. Somehow, I managed to miss everything Justice Smith has been in up until this point. <laughs> and I actually started this movie not really enjoying, like, his character. I was kind of like okay, like, clearly this kid has... Like, we didn't get his backstory until, like, midway through, and then it made a lot of sense. At first, I'm kind of like, why don't you like Pokemon? You live in a fantastical world. Stop being so ungrateful. Uh, but, but yeah, like, it really fleshed out well, and I think because I felt that way, I, like, I wanted to interact with the character, that told me that they were doing something right. And I think, I think he does a really good job of, like, again, existing inside of that world. I thought uh, opposite him, Catherine New- uh, Newton was hilarious she she plays lucy stevens the the junior reporter with the psyduck um here's where your light spoilers come in and i just thought like this person is like almost a kind of a caricature but like this is where she's just she's just a doofus basically but like she's very ambitious she's very like i'm gonna get this story if it kills me you know what it reminded me of um have you guys ever seen the have you guys ever seen a musical called newsies of course Classic. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because because it's like it's one of the few I've seen because it, it actually has like a Netflix or uh, video version of it. And there's there's that writer Pulitzer's daughter, and it's kind of like the same character, where like nobody really thinks she can do anything, but she can, and she doesn't really get a chance until something crazy happens. I don't know if you got those vibes, but I definitely did. Plus I, a side I, up. I I have no idea if I got those vibes yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm mostly <laughs> directing this energy at Chase, I, but I can, yes, I can magical. See where I you're coming that. from on that. I you know it's yeah. It, uh, 
there are a lot of great ideas being uh, thrown around in this film, and I'm really glad that it exists. I think this is one that's uh, definitely worth your time if you haven't yet. If you have any love for the Pokemon films, uh, it is something that, you know, or Pokemon as a franchise, uh, you should go see it. You'll probably have a very good time. And even if you don't, I, I think that this is a movie that goes out of its way to try to capture why a lot of other people do. So if it's not something that's stuck with you, but you kind of want to see why people have fallen in love with the series, I, I think that Detective Pikachu is probably one of the best ways to find out. Awesome. Well, so that's a big thumbs up from Chase, and I know you've got another thumbs up. Uh, while we're on movies, let's talk about John Wick 3. Now, I have not seen oh. this. I don't care about spoilers because, like, at some point I'll watch all three of them, but I'm going to forget it anyways. So, I love Magical... John Wick. He's from Fortnite, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Chase, just talk about John Wick 3. First of all, how dare you? Second of all, how could you? Uh, look, I love John Wick 3. I love the John Wick series in general. Uh, it is in my opinion, the best pure action series we have going right now. Uh, it's pretty amazing that we're three movies in and they're still coming up with set pieces that are incredibly original and fun to watch. Uh, I did not know how much I needed a motorcycle sword fight, for instance. Uh, that was Were really they great. playing card games on the motorcycle? They, yeah, they if were they're not, not playing uh, card games, it doesn't count. Uh, I mean, they were trying to, to cut something, probably not a deck, I suppose, but there's no <laughs> proof that they didn't have card games on them. Look, if John Wick can summon Exodia, I'd be really... I, I, just, I just watched the movie net today, if that happened. Yeah, look, I... Did that happen? I, I think they're saving it for the next one. And that is the okay. thing that I, I think... I'll go see John Wick 4. Th there's, been a, uh, there's been a backlash to that, uh, because they announced very early on if not even before the movie came out that they were going to make another one and for some people it's like oh how could you do that it tells us that you know he survives the film and it's like well of course of course he does he's john wick what what have you been watching for the last two movies i feel like this is the guy who never falls the guy who uh Except you know sets up all this stuff he sounds like well, the punisher i will say uh there is a uh, the best part of, of John Wick 3 is that they, the dogs have a significantly higher uh, KD ratio in yes. this one compared to the original film. And, and to yeah. your uh, punishment point, Peter, I'm glad, because that's all I knew about the first one, is yeah, that same. they had a, a zero KD ratio. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Punisher comparison is interesting, certainly in, like, the uh, embrace of that kind of uh, violence to, to do what needs to get done is there. I think that there's uh, a lot of a kind of, uh, not quite spy angle to it, but certainly this like working from the shadows, you know, the kind of assassins, right? And so there, there's a much more strategic uh, bent to it than I think that maybe like a Punisher does. There isn't some huge morality complex. It's survival. It's you killed my dog, so I'm going to destroy you and everything you've ever loved because you took that from me. Uh, it, it's a guy... So he's the world's best dog owner. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, think, I think there's certainly one of the most passionate ones out there, and, and someone who just is doing what he feels he needs to to survive. That's ultimately uh, what this all comes down to, and I will say that what they're teasing for the next part is incredibly exciting to me, 
from a uh, from from an opportunity standpoint. I I, I think that uh, one of my friends I, I'm gonna give uh, Superbian a, a shout right now. Hopefully you're listening to this. Uh, made the very good point that this series is at its best when it doesn't get too hung up on the plot and just lets the really cool action beats happen because that's by far what the cinematography is best at and uh, and Keanu Reeves does such an amazing job with it. But I do think that the idea that they're now going to go against uh, some of the uh, best uh, assassins out there, essentially uh, the other John Wicks, if you're looking at the totem pole, I think just creates so many uh, interesting opportunities. And it's going to be really fun to see how that all comes together. But yeah, I mean, it's, it is a brutal film. Uh, but if you like uh, R-rated action films uh, that go all in on these kinds of concepts, uh, you're not going to find anything better than the John Wick series, 100%. All right. Uh, so this is going to be a quicker one. But as of this Sunday... Game of Thrones is officially over. After eight die? seasons, multiple years, lots of people died. Uh, I die? feel like I feel like we can get into spoiler territory here for Game of Thrones. It's been by the time anyone's listening to this, it'll have been about five days. I actually had to stay off Twitter entirely uh, because I took about two days because people just kept posting spoilers. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it was interesting. A lot of people didn't like it. There was a petition, even before this episode, to remake the final season with new writers and the same actors. Uh, it got, I believe it's up to 1.5 million signatures Ooh. right now. Uh, it's not going to happen, but uh, but yeah, that just kind of goes to show you that there definitely were a lot of people that, that um, definitely didn't like how it went altogether. I'll just put it this way. I'm happy it's done. Like, I was ready for it to be done. I, I think I was ready for it to be done before the season began because we had a two-year hiatus for it. Uh, and now I can go back to just being a semi-normal human being that doesn't drop everything in his life for the sake of a television show once a week. But they didn't all die, so I'm disappointed. <laughs> a lot of people died. The, the, the KD ratio was, uh, was quite high. Let's go with that. Without it being 100% yeah. kill participation, I am not interested. Well, I will say that uh, the MVP was definitely Daenerys Dragon. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, that's all I'm saying about that one. But yeah, the end of the the end of the story, it's um, it has like you know they mentioned the whole bittersweet thing. There's definitely some like ooh that was kind of happy, but then people were like, why would that happen? Why would anyone do it this way? Why would anyone do it that way? I think it, it just kind of focused on the remaining like main characters and just said, hey, this is how their story ends. Again, it's not going to be perfect. HBO is going to try and salvage its its viewer base by, uh, you know, picking up that spinoff show. I think they're doing Robert's Rebellion or something. George R. R. Martin will finally probably get his button gear and finish writing The Winds of Winter. Uh, but yeah, for now, Game of Thrones is officially done. And that's all I've got to say about that. Isn't, didn't George R. R. Martin just agree to, like, work on some film? Uh, I, I, I could have sworn I just heard a story that he's already looking to uh, do some more uh, some more television slash uh, movie stuff. Uh, I, I so, mean, why, so, why wouldn't you, right? Like, yeah. he's, this has been one of the most successful, like, regardless of how it ended, this has been one of the most successful and beloved fantasy series in modern television, adaptation-wise, and, and it's his writing that inspired it. Oh, sure. uh, so I, if I'm him, you know, and, and I feel like making money, and I just, yeah, let's, let's screenplay some more. 
Yeah, I I just I I do want to uh, bring that up because I know there are a lot of people who are like, so now now we get uh, just just the, finish Winds of Winter, please. I don't, That's all I'm asking. I don't think just he's finish ever going Winds of Winter. To. I don't think he cares. I mean, he said he said so, that right, he was going to have right. it done by the end of next year. I don't know if I believe him, but I feel like based on the reaction of the finale of the series, maybe he wants to you know like. Make his legacy be more loved. I don't wait, know. Wait, you want to hear my theory? I have, a, I have a theory about uh, George R. R. Martin. Does it involve motorcycles and/or card games? <laughs> okay, a different theory then. I'll I'll tell you. Thank a different you. Theory. Okay, so my other theory, <laughs> my backup one that I had prepared, was that he is trying to make a modern day Canterbury Tales and Legend of King Arthur. That his plan is pretty much to never complete it. He does not want to complete it. Because he wants it so that when he dies, people then take his tail and add to it. So they're constantly adding to it to try to see if it can last for hundreds, if not thousands Ma- of magical. years. Magical. Yeah. You just invented the comic book, my friend. I know, I know. But he's trying to do that with books. He's trying to bring it back. Yeah, I, I, I think he should just write comics. You're not wrong. I would buy them. You're not wrong. And I think everyone would. I want a standalone White Walkers issue. I want to figure out what the heck was going on with those guys. It seems amazing that there isn't already some Dark Horse series of uh, Game of Thrones comics. It seems like such a perfect slam dunk for them. But I, I will say, like, the one thing that's like has been unfortunate, uh, even as someone who doesn't really uh, care about Game of Thrones all that much, uh, it was really unfortunate to see that this series was impacted so heavily by the fact that these showrunners uh, all have other projects they want to move on to, right? Like, this was supposed to be a 10-episode season, and they cut it to six, not because uh, there wasn't a lot to go over, because there was. Uh, And I think that a lot of the complaints that we're seeing uh, could have been assuaged if they'd taken more time to really set things up and uh, execute them properly. But they wanted to go work on the Star Wars stuff they have going on, and people want to get going with these new Game of Thrones spinoffs and whatnot. So I I do feel like uh, sacrifices were made, and uh, there were some kind of uh, cuts to get people where they want to be, uh, and people were kind of ready to move on from Game of Thrones. I, I wish that that didn't have to come at the sacrifice of those who were really invested in the series, uh, maybe bringing uh, some more people in who uh, didn't have those same kind of uh, commitments uh, in the near future uh, would have been a a better way to handle it. But as it stands, I think that there certainly is a lot to celebrate if you're a Game of Thrones fan. And while it was not the ending that I think most people were hoping for in terms of execution, it was an ending, and that is something that we don't get uh, necessarily in uh, every show. Uh, the, this is kind of like a conclusive closure feeling here. Yeah, so. Yeah, some kind of closure at the very least. So, with that, we should move on to our review of Love, Death, and Robots, episodes 11 through 13. I got to watch them today, of course. We're almost done with this series. We've been taking it real slow, though. Uh, and let's let's get right into it. Episode 11, it is called Helping Hand, and that is very literal because, well, there's a hand, and it helps, but it doesn't end up attached to a body at the end of the day. 
I honestly think that these three episodes were the best like group of episodes we've watched this entire time. I well. I enjoyed every single one in a different way. This first one was so interesting and I mean, I kind of knew what was going to happen to a degree just with how Love Death and Robots was. They try to they, it's almost like they like, "Oh, how can we think of this creative way to get out of the situation that's different, but it's also realistic." It's like so when I kind of saw what was about to happen, it was a little bit more on the unrealistic side. But at the same time, there was nothing that was going to save her. And I was like, okay, well, you're going to have to get rid of something important. And so when that part was happening, I'm like, yep, there you go. Okay. She's, yeah. She's getting rid of her. Yeah, arm. that was, it's a very simple, it was a very simple like story, right? It's just an, an astronaut who has an unfortunate accident in space is kind of drifting off. And she actually ends up having to take her her you know the arm of her spacesuit off freeze her own arm and then literally rip it off and chuck it to get her momentum to push her back to the ship i'm not gonna lie i was actually i had a hard time watching this just because i don't know about you guys i get really like Ugh, no, whenever no, there's no. like self dismemberment and you know like i just i don't know why it just it just really i can't watch the saw movies for the same reason um but yeah I, you know i thought it was a good story i thought it was pretty straightforward pretty simple it was it was really fast. It was well put together. It had that like you know realistic animation style. I'm gonna air quotes, uh, kind of like um, like a cutscene from a game. What did you think, Chase? I'm mad at you guys because Why? we <laughs> talked when we first started this show. I was like, look, I don't like horror. I don't like that kind of oh anxiety yeah. We got into the horror like, finally. Oh, I'll warn you ahead of time, Chase. If it's something uh, that you need yeah. to know, we'll prepare you. I think and that you was your job, Magical. Uh, I don't watch these until the day of recording. I I'll be honest. I may or may not have watched them last night. Yeah, uh, it's okay. <laughs> I totally forgot, by I the did, way, about I that, Chase. I I'm sorry, not, Chase. I'm sorry. That was my sorry. Fault. You need sleep, clearly, because I'm not going to get any for a while. I literally, I you know, I take notes for this, and I the. Basically, the only note I took from this was, uh, why is this arm-breaking animation so good? This is so gross. No, 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 Yeah, I like. I had to look away, dude. I actually had to look away. This is, like, the idea of, like, being stranded in space, knowing that your oxygen is running out and that it's going to be an incredibly painful death should you not be able to survive and there's basically nothing you can do. You have described my worst nightmare. This is a goddamn nightmare and it no was no monster no no enemy no, just 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 open space, space. yeah ah. and, and it was yeah and dismemberment it was uh more unsettling than I'm sorry, any Chase. of the shows i, I have failed you it's yeah. you look man i just I never want to think fault. about i'm this glad again. you reminded me though so for, from now on I can yeah now sure. we know yeah, it's it's a fair point. Like honestly, the other episodes, like there's a, only a few we probably could have classified as horror. Yeah. But even that's very subjective. Like the Dracula one, like it's so played out. It's it doesn't really hold any actual horror element. Aquila Rift is like semi horror, but that's more intrigue in my mm -hmm. mind. Same. It, it's it, it's interesting that this whole thing has been billed as horror when I, I honestly up until this point haven't felt it. See, and I guess for me, I. I don't really get scared by much. So for me, I kind of looked at this and it didn't phase me like at all. I didn't see this as any issue. I, like I said, to me, it's like, oh, I know what's going to happen in my mind. I'd already played it out that this was go what was go going to be. And so I didn't get scared by it. I didn't get, uh, no, I didn't even notice it. I didn't bat an eye when it was happening. So 
when you when you guys say it, it's like, oh yeah, I guess that is nor a normal reaction. I'm just weird. That's okay, magical. We still love you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the next episode. Uh, it's called Fish Night. Um, of the three, it's the one that has like kind of the least like sci-fi elements. This is a bit more mystical. Uh, basically, two business uh, businessmen, traveling salesmen, get stranded in the desert uh, somewhere in the U.S. Um, they wake up and there's a bunch of ghost fish swimming around. One of the guys goes crazy, gets naked, goes swimming with the fish, and gets eaten by a ghost shark. That's it. Yep. Beautiful. Uh, it was a beautiful episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was. This. This was a lot of fun. Um, I do love uh, this idea of uh, this. This is the first one I think that really went uh, into the past. There. There wasn't any sort of. Uh, sci-fi gimmick here it was almost more of like a uh, mystical like spirit animal type story uh, which I, I think can be done in, in some problematic ways but this one was uh, was very well executed uh, it was one of those things where immediately like the dad is telling the story about these fish and, and how it used to be an ocean or whatnot. And it's like, well, I, I'm going to take a shot in the dark that he's not telling that story for no reason. Uh, so that kind of all uh, came together. I, I feel like the son got uh, what he Was he deserved. actually the son? I thought it would just they were just working together. I, I, I don't know. I never clarify that. Uh, yeah, I okay. guess I just assumed based on the nature of the bickering. It, it felt very I mean, that was that was basically and, their relationship. Let's let's be fair. Yeah, that, that's all that's all we had to work from. So uh, yeah, we I didn't get their names or anything. Uh, yeah, so it definitely is, um, it, yeah, I, I think that that dynamic there was, uh, something we, we've seen before. It was very much, uh, an Icarus tale at the end of the day. Uh, the, the salesman who feels like he can do it all, uh, flew too close to the sun and, uh, ended up falling, uh, for it. So, uh, I think kind of a classic tale. That's an interesting take on it. I didn't really consider the Icarus angle because for me, it kind of felt like, the setting and the whole like you know mystical fish spirits after dark thing was kind of the entire purpose and then they just needed a way to wrap it up and give it a bit of a twist but maybe i kind of over over uh, overemphasized the setting itself um rather than like any particular moral out of it so yeah good episode um one that was a little bit different than some of the others Let's talk about the next one. This is episode 13, and it's called Lucky 13. Now, by the way, I, uh, I actually really quickly was Googling it because people have been saying they watch in different orders. Some episodes are set in a specific number, and Netflix has been basically playing around by sending different orders to particular individual Netflix subscribers. So the standard order, I think, is what we have all had. Right. But there's like a percentage of people that are watching them out of order to some extent. Um, but I believe huh. this is one of the ones that is in the correct original order and is always in that order uh, because episode 13 is Lucky 13, which is about uh, space marines and a ship, specifically a ship uh, that uh, had kind of a bad reputation for some of the marines uh, because it would always come back and nobody else would. But uh, its pilot basically kind of grew to love it over like several missions and then... They kind of have, like, a moment where it gets downed and almost blown up, and then, she, you know, she tries to blow it up, and it won't blow up, and then she gets clear of cover, and then it blows up with the aliens on top of it, and it's, like, it's kind of alive, but kind of not. Like, clearly a lot of that's in your head. I thought that was an interesting story in and of itself. Um, it was very much about the the pilot, Colby, and her kind of, like, narration of, 
of what was happening. We didn't really hear about the war, why they were fighting it, what was going on. It was really just about her day-to-day -day experiences. So I think this is partly why I loved these three episodes in particular. Every single story had a built universe in it that you didn't need to know all about, yet it had a definitive conclusion to the story where you knew it was done and you didn't feel like there was so much left open. You're like, oh, what's going... Like, when we watched... Um, I'm trying to remember the episode name, the one with the fox, where it was the steampunk one. Good hunting. Good hunting, yeah, thank you. Where you felt like there's more to the story and you kind of felt empty at the end. And these ones, you did not. You felt satisfied. Lucky 13 was definitely... I think a great example of that where it's you know that Colby continues on but the story was about Lucky 13 and her it was her how she was the pilot of it how she had grown, grown to love it and how you like you said it was sort of alive it almost felt like Lucky 13 felt the same way about her and was constantly trying to protect her maybe it was in her head maybe she was just remembering it that way you're not you're that was one of the few things you're left open on but that was perfect it gives you enough that you want to think about it later on, but not enough where you feel empty and like you di like you didn't get a good conclusion. Yeah, this story is really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was my favorite of the three, I think. I, I mean, it's one of those things where uh, obviously if you've played a game like a Halo, like a Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, uh, I, I think that there are some things that are, that are pretty clear patterns to uh, that, that you'll recognize. Uh, particularly, I, I think there were some overlays that felt very Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Uh, there were some kind of uh, shots that would have been uh, like, you know, the next age of video games where if, if we got to a, even a, a hyper-realistic point like that uh, with the 3D graphics, I, I think there's a, a, a lot of it that shoots for that very well. I, I love the cinematography of it. Uh, and I do love, you know, they really gave us a character here um, that you could... Uh, get behind and taught us a lot with not a lot of time you know that kind of uh focus on you know i save everyone that i can and i have an attachment to this ship that has kind of a personality of its own and you know it th there were just a, a couple really great cathartic moments uh that explosion uh the way that that timing works and how it plays around with our expectations a bit. I just thought that was a really well done moment. The symbolism there, uh, you know, I, I think is so huge. And it does leave you with this idea that, like, you know, did this plane have a personality? Or is this the story of how we put meaning onto things that typically wouldn't have it uh, because of how we kind of interact with the world? Uh, there was a lot to love about this. Uh, and I'm really glad that uh, uh, that we got to end on this one. This was a very nice note to end on, uh, given where we started uh, with this three block. Big agree. Definitely big agree. Now, uh, looks like as we are wrapping into the final stretch, let's talk uh, Q&A. We have a couple of questions today from listeners. The first of them, and actually the second, both of our questions just come from Marn, uh, who reached out to me yesterday asking about uh, if there was still time to put questions in. So yes. We definitely have time. Guys, this is some eSports stuff. First one, both Cloud9 and, uh, versus Fnatic and G2 versus Team Liquid were labeled as the biggest matches in Western history. Both results were scary for, the North, Amer for North America as their best teams have not been close to taking a game off Europe's best teams. How can North America close that gap? Get their own meta. 
it's the best thing that North America could ever do is they need to define themselves. Europe has defined themselves. They have always defined themselves. They very rarely play another pl uh, t region's playstyle. Sometimes they take elements from LPL, take elements from LZK, but never once can you say Europe is not Europe. North America is nothing. They have nothing that defines them, that makes them stand out from the rest. The biggest thing we've had from them, the biggest thing, is Skarner. Let that sink in. That that is it. Where you can go. That is a uniquely North American thing. Where they were the ones, and they are still the ones, that will play that consistently. That is not a good thing. That is not a good sign. That is not a style of play. That is a champion. You need to develop your region more. You need to be able to have more players come in. This is why I think Cloud9 are a good example of a team that has attempted this. They have been a team that tries to do it, but they're still falling flat because no one else in North America really does it. And this is why the Cloud9 versus Fnatic was a 3-0. It's because while they're trying to do it, nobody else is trying to keep up with Cloud9 in that way, so they don't really get practice against a team too often that can adapt to that weird style. They're only used to playing against North American teams who don't know how to play against that. So when they go against a Fnatic team, that is a little bit more of a traditional style who tend to play a little bit more of the let's scale, kind of get objectives, more Korean style, then they fail. Then you have G2. It's the flip, where you have Team Liquid that are the more traditional style, but you have G2, the team that's wild and crazy. Team Liquid have only really had Cloud9 to practice that against. Well, G2 know how to play against that more clean style. They've played against Fnatic. They've played against more teams that are a little bit more high cali uh, higher caliber that play a little bit more slow and methodical. Plus, they've played against teams like Vi uh, Vitality. You've got Jazuke, who plays whatever he wants. He has a really good rise, and he has other things that he can just bust out and try to see if they can really define a meta. And I want to see North America be able to do that, too. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that uh, has always been the, the question mark surrounding North America. Because, uh, especially if you look at regional talent, right? It's a smaller server than a lot of the uh, major servers out there. Uh, certainly the big three. And so you have to rely on foreign imports, uh, which, you know, I, as I've mentioned before, I have some concerns about for the long term. But, you know, more notably, uh, because of that, you can't play the same system that other people are and just expect to uh, win off of that. I think the Cloud9 has historically been the org that has uh, done the best at international competitions because they're not afraid to just do what it is that they did that got them there in the first place. Even if they're having terrible records and scrims, they stick to what they know and they feel confident in it and they uh, are loose enough about it that they can uh, execute without that kind of fear holding them back. I feel like if you look at Team Liquid's win against IG, that was exactly what you need to do uh, if you're Team Liquid. They took chances, they made risks, they made adjustments that were different than the, the kinds of things that we'd seen in the group stage because they realized that this is what it was going to take uh, to get the most out of the playstyle that has worked for them uh, historically. And that's how they got to the finals. That's why it was the best uh, international finish that North America's probably ever had, uh, in my humble opinion. I, I know TSM won an IEM, but can, can we can we stop pretending like like those IEM tournaments were? Yeah, the most. I'm gonna agree with you, Chase. Uh, Don't worry. 
but that that brings an interesting question too that that Martin's also provided. This is the second one. Do you feel North America should host similar tournaments such as the EU Masters, which could allow collegiate teams to compete against NA Academy teams or teams that did not make the playoffs? So this kind of almost kind of bleeds into a a really big like, do we want like a big not at Worlds, not at MSI tournament? Yes. That's kind of an interesting question. I, so there's an easy answer for Magical Chase. Do you have a longer one? So I, I think there are two layers to this question. Because the first is, should we have more tournaments for uh, LCS teams? Uh, yes. The answer is yes. We need more international events in general. International events are, are the uh, best indicator of long-term improvement because you get to practice against... Uh, better teams. I've always argued that Rift Rivals, rather than being uh, the top three teams, should actually be uh, some of the bottom tier teams or the mid tier teams, because the top teams are going to have the chance to go to international competition, either MSI or Worlds, whereas those middle of the pack teams, the ones that really flesh out the uh, strength of a, a region as a whole, uh, don't necessarily uh, get those opportunities and probably would benefit more from having those opportunities than teams that already have opportunities of their own in the first place. Uh, when you're talking about something like EU Masters, you're talking about the uh, challenger scene, as we used to call it, now kind of academy. And for North America, it's a bit of a mess. And, and the, the problem has always been that, you know, in, in EU Masters, there's a very clear path for an open circuit. That's something that's, you know, if you look at, at uh, football, uh, European football, obviously, uh, you're looking at uh, a promotion relegation system and you're looking at regional leagues kind of carrying the day, right? There's the German league, the Spanish league, the, the British league, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Um, so you have this situation in which um, you are able to cultivate a regional talent that then gets to be funneled up into an international, uh, uh, you know, a like uh, a European event, but from all these different regions getting representation, uh, which is great. Uh, and it means that they have more focused uh, opportunities to really develop talent and uh, have, you know, these different regional metas that, in which teams can kind of uh, grow off of each other. What we don't have in North America is that, second rung of competitions beyond just academy like yes the collegiate league exists but for the vast majority of people uh right now you're not going to college to play league of legends you're going to a college and you might join your college's league of legends team but it is nowhere near what we're talking about in eu masters where you know a lot of these teams uh, even ones that aren't associated with the lcs you know this is a a full-time thing or close to a full-time thing in order to get the most out of it uh, because there is some real money there. Uh, there are tournaments. There's there's an amateur circuit in North America. And uh, if Flibble, if you're listening to this, shout out to you uh, and shout out to you, Xander. Uh, both of them have done uh, coaching stints for those kind of tier of teams. And while they're great uh, for what they are, uh, there's not a lot of money into it and it's not particularly well-structured. Uh, and so then you have the academy leagues, which, you know, right now are often filled with veteran talent that just isn't quite good enough to be on the LCS stage. Uh, there isn't necessarily a, even a majority of young unproven talent in that system. So there's nothing centralized to really bring it all together. 
And Collegiate in particular, because I, I know Warren mentioned that specifically, the system doesn't work as it's currently constructed. Like for Riot to get it where it needs to be, we're still a decade away, probably. There's no draft to really prepare for, so there's no incentive to go to college. If you're a player that has any sort of pro potential, there's absolutely nothing that would incentivize you to go to college for it when you can try to get into the league right away. Uh, those are players that usually, uh, that's the perfect time to enter the league because you've got that kind of break between high school and college where you can really uh, put uh, as many hours as you need to develop off of it. Uh, they're really the only schools that are offering uh, pure League of Legends scholarships are not necessarily uh, the best schools. And, and so you have this situation. It's like, so what are you really gaining from that? Like, why not just try to participate in an academy league or scouting grounds? There's, there's nothing that benefits uh, you for participating in the collegiate scene uh, versus the other options available. And so... The, the level of talent, it just doesn't work as it's currently constructed. I think the only way you get there is if you say, uh, we're actually going to a draft system and we're going to pull an NCAA-type rule where you have to play uh, a year in college or something. But we are so far away from that being practical and that being efficient, given how few uh, universities have really fleshed out deep, uh, collegiate programs for League of Legends. I, I think we're a long way away uh, from being able to turn that into oh, a yeah. master style project. For sure. Oh yeah, uh, it, it it sounds like that's a lofty ambition. A really good question by Marn, and and honestly, I loved your guys' responses. I think it's on point. It's going to be a while before we get to a lot of that in League, and then that of course means it will be even longer for a lot of the other games as well. The whole path to pro for a lot of players at the moment is still going to be kind of a bumpy a bumpy road, but. You know, that's uh, that's something that we'll definitely keep tracking as it goes down the line. And uh, I think that just about does it for us. That's going to be it on the episode. A big shout out to Blue Microphones for becoming our first official sponsor. Thank you guys so much. The equipment has been awesome. Uh, definitely will be shouting that out as soon as the episode goes live. And we will be talking about them each of the episodes as well. So with that... That's it. The show's over. Episode 10 in the books. This one's been a little bit longer than usual, but thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. We will see you all again next week. But for now, say goodbye, my dudes. Goodbye, my dudes. Goodbye, my dudes. You guys don't miss a trick.